This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora katou. Welcome to the people of Puawai, the podcast from Leadership Labs Youth Program. Our co-papa is to amplify marginalised voices. Join us as we kōrero with the rangatahi of Puawai about their lives, passions and what they need from the world. Ka mihi tēne ki nā tua huriri, nā mana whenua o te whenua nei. Acknowledging Nai Tua Huriri, the hapu who are the holders of the land in and around Ōtotahi. Ko Kupa Toku Ingoa, no Scotland, Ireland, England, Denmark, Germany, France, Aku Tipuna. Kia ora, my name is Cooper, and my ancestors are mostly from Western and Northern Europe. I mihi to the rangatahi featured in this podcast and the vulnerability they have generously stepped into by sharing these stories. It is the opportunity to gain insight and experience outside of our own and challenge our preconceptions. Please afi, cherish, and totoku, support, by whakarongo, listening, with your heart as well as your ears, with openness and the aim to understand these young people, their experiences, and their communities. Today with us we have Andre and Abdi. Uh, hello, Kiara, salam. Kiora. And they're two young people who migrated to Aotearoa during primary school. One in from the Philippines, the other from Somalia. They're going to talk about their experiences of migration, how their experiences of school, community and self-identity were impacted, as well as the change they would like to see in the world and what inspires them to be part of the change-making. They're also going to talk to us about some things that they're passionate about and share with us their favourite songs right now. We want to give everyone a content warning that we're going to be talking about the topics of racism in school and poverty porn. So please be gentle with yourself if these are topics that are particularly heavy for you. We hope that you'll find this discussion valuable for you, your whanau, and other loved ones. Aroha nui. Now without further ado. Kia ora, Abdi, welcome. Can you tell us how you identify? Kia ora, Kuba. I am Somali Muslim, uh, African Kiwi. And what are your pronouns? He. How old are you? Uh, 26 now. And I believe you're in university. What year are you? Uh, third year, almost. Yep. Finishing next year. Cool. And what have you been studying? Uh, political science. That's pretty interesting of it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do outside of uni? Um, I will do hobbies such as uh, sports, friends, uh, movies, uh, games, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I also do work and... I also work as a leadership lab, and currently part of this host is uh, we're doing is Puwai. Mm-hmm. Are you able to tell us a little bit about Puwai and leadership lab? Yeah, leadership lab is a leadership in communities where they train leaders to be, uh, they train community leaders to be a leader, and Puwai is one of those where youth are. Uh, I think was it was it thirteen to eighteen, and youth are being trained and being mentored by uh, those who are above eighteen to 
teach them how to be a leadership and they do activities that help them devolve. It's like strength coaching mm-hmm. where there's like 34 strength and they teach you um, what your top five is. Yeah. Now, currently you are living <coughs> in, currently you're living in Otatahi Christchurch. I'm aware that you weren't born here. Can you please tell us where it was that you were born? Yes, I was born in Somalia, East of Africa or Horn of Africa. And that's where your parents and your ancestors were born? Yes. And when was it that you moved to Aotearoa? Uh, I, it was around 2007. And who did you move here with? Uh, my family. Before you moved here, while you are still in Somalia, who was your whanau made up of? And by which I mean, who did you grow up with? I grew up with a lot of family members, extinct family members and and immediate family members. You spoke to me about um, it being like a hapu-like environment, um, like if you were to compare it to something kind of similar yeah, it's to... Yeah, like, it's kind of similar to clan, tribe. It depends on uh, or house, like, you know, how the UK is, you know, they used to have those in noble house like that. It's kind of similar. It depends on the culture and... Yeah, area. Cool. Um, and so you moved here at 11. Uh, did you have any whanau over here already? Uh, yes, I had my uncles and my grandma, like, who came, like, in the 90s. You mentioned to me um, previously um, that there was quite a difference between what it was like in the hapu-like environment um, that you previously knew and then coming over here and only having um, a few whānau members. Um, can you share a little bit more about that? I mean, it was different, the environment, the people were different, the language. Like in here, you have to learn new language, which was English. And tran- translate that to somebody was a bit difficult because some of the words didn't even exist. So it was kind of having to learn new language and... On top of that, I kind of speak few languages, so it was kind of a bit tricky at the same time having to learn that. The other part was that it was a bit difficult, like, you know, growing up with different people with different uh, ethnics and who were different to you. So over there, it was like, I know everyone was like family and extended families lived there. But here it was like, and it was quite safe, like, because I couldn't do anything. As a kid, like, I could go anywhere and someone knows me. So in here, it was different. Like, you know, as a kid, like, you know, you couldn't really go somewhere else because anything could happen to you. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of a different environment. Yeah. What was it like going from a happy-like environment to only having a few members that you knew? It was different. There was a different environment and different, meeting different people and having to start from scratch, everything. So some of those things were like the language, having to, I speak a couple of languages, so it was a bit tough, like trying to translate those words because sometimes it doesn't make sense or it just don't exist in the same language. So like, for example, in Somali, it doesn't exist, some of the words. So it just doesn't have any meaning so it was a bit tough having to learn new language and meeting new people. Uh, on top of that, back in Somalia, there were a lot of people I know 
as a kid, I could go anywhere and I feel safe because everyone knows me. But here it was different. So it was like trying to navigate between that environment where, I mean, it may be safe, but anything can happen as a, as a child, like, you know, trying to leave home and then going anywhere. You can't, you can't do that. Well, over there, you could do that. So mm. it was a bit difficult and different. That would have been a massive transition. Yeah. Coming to the present day, um, who do you identify as Fano? Do you have siblings? Are there um, other Fano in Aotearoa now? Yes, there are. There are. I have cousins, siblings, and extended families. Have you had any chance to go back and visit Somalia? Uh, no, unfortunately, my mum have, have been to a couple of times, but I haven't had a chance because I've, I've been planning, but it just never happened yet. What is it you miss the most about Somalia? Huh. I mean, that's a tough question because there's a lot of things. Yeah, I bet. Especially like family being there. So that's one of the main things. But yeah, there's a lot of things that I've missed. Yeah, a bit hard to just break it down into yeah. one answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it definitely it is hard to break it down, but yeah. there's a lot of things. Thinking now about your school experience, uh, you had already started school when you were in Somalia. And then you moved to Aotearoa and primary school here. What was that like for you? Um, like I was saying before, it was really difficult, like, you know, trying to fit in. Uh, especially because the fact that I had no clue and I had never spoken English before. So trying to communicate with people, it was a bit difficult. Especially student and we sometimes get into fights over a lot of things. Sometimes it's just like, just the fact that it was racism and that kind of stuff. And sometimes it was just like, you know, scope. Like, so I had a lot of that, which I ended up getting me into a lot of trouble sometimes, end up fighting a lot of people. Did you find um, that, pe- that a lot of people made it outwardly clear that you weren't welcome? Or was it something that you could just innately sense? Um, yes, uh, it was a bit, diff- uh, yes, um, especially like, you know, I like growing up in this environment and seeing different people, I learned, I learned a few things such as like, you know, being observant and which helped me a lot because I can tell easily when I come to a class, like who was who, who I could be friends with and I who I don't want, I can't be friends with because it's not that I don't want it, it's the fact that I know how they perceive me. Mm-hmm. So it was just letting me because in growing up I've been here and schools because sometimes there were some teachers who are really rude and racism. So they give you detentions or suspend you, like that kind of stuff, just because they can and they have the power. And there were also there's some good teachers, so it was like flip of a coin where good and bad exist at the same time. So students were at the same time in that sense too, which, like I said before, it was getting me a lot of troubles because sometimes it was hard to hold back, you know, trying to be friendly enough. So you sometimes you end up fighting back people, mm. and sometimes you just being a friendly. So it was like trying to. Yeah, and because sometimes when you do fight, then teachers will like give you detention, even though it's not your fault. And then other times when you do, when you try to be friendly enough, 
you don't get along with people sometimes. So mm. it was a bit jiggling through this. Mm. I can imagine um, it would have been it would have been quite difficult to know what to expect on a daily basis as well. Yeah. When it, it like from what you're telling me, it sounds like at any moment it could go either way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is because you are different. I mean, as you live in, I end up living in an environment where I was a minority before I was majority. So it was different. So now you experience what's like being like that, what's been like different. So it was a bit interesting, I guess. Do you feel that being Somali and having a different skin colour or being Muslim and therefore a different religion had more impact over the other or do you feel like it was more of a cluster situation with those identities combined? Yes, it was more of a cluster situation where different identity did not really help. It was just all coming together as a one because you're still the minority in that group. Whether you're as Muslim or as African, you're still the same because you're still seen as different. So it was a bit difficult in growing up in that environment. But I had also good friends that helped me through those environment. Oh, it's really good to hear that there were good some friends along the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you feel needs to happen in schools so that people from your community will have a better time in the future? Huh, that's bit hard because, I mean, if you were to ask me like a couple of years ago, I would say it's not, it's not happening. But after that match with Thin and I take it was different. People started seeing, for example, as a Muslim, you, people start seeing Muslim people were not actually what they see in the TV, what they see in social media. Rather they started seeing different because they know that they're not different because a Muslim person can be your actual your own sibling or your parent or your partner. Just different religion, but just the same person as you. So it was kind of different. And I would say it's easier to have people um, learn about your religion than before and I feel like people need to understand other people because I, when I know, what I notice the most is those who tend to be racism uh, whether it's race whether it's uh, religion they don't tend to have friends around those or colleagues around them to, to actually understand these people so they end up tend to be racist towards whatever they feel like that's different to them, whether it's a gender, whether it's a religion, whether it's a skin color. They all tend to be have that in common. Mm. And I feel like schools could be a best place to teach them how to be different, how to be open at least. You don't have to accept that person viewpoint or who they are, but at least understanding them makes different compared to like judging them or oh, just those people are bad or those person is dead. 
it's like you know you have a few apples and then you meet you ha- you see one of the uh, apples to be rotten and you assume to think all of them are rotten apples mm. and that's not the case so um you 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 feel that um just to try to summarize that do you feel that um a, a good way that uh, something that could positively impact your community um in schools would be if schools used class time to educate around different cultures and different religions and different you know different yeah or just have them mix or teach them how um, to be more accepting of each other yeah I mean you it's not necessary like I said it's not necessary you have you are forced to accept what that person is because you don't have the same uh, belief or uh, alignment to the other person but at least you know the other person where they're coming from and who they are you've got more information about yeah. them that's true rather than what you're just hearing through social media yes. or through rumors and such yes one last question for you around identity yeah do you think that the media's depiction of your community has had a negative effect on how you perceive yourself or your peers? Yes, it does. Because the moment you see uh, in the news, the first thing comes up is like, oh, look, this Muslim. He's, the moment anything happens, automatically it's stated, oh, he's a terrorist. He's, uh, uh, they are uh, suicidal people who will just bomb you. So that's the thing, the information people see. And I feel like that's not the case because that's not true. Because Islam is one of the, uh, it has almost two billion and it's growing religion. And if that was the case, and if you were to say, oh, they are, they will uh, kill. Uh, they will. Uh, what is it called? They will. Uh, they are suicide bombers. Are you stating that all these people would do that? Because then that means you will see a lot of bombs happening everywhere in the world, but you don't see that. So there's something to be there that you need to think about. Let's do a bit of research before you stated these kind of things. Cause it wouldn't make sense if you just said it, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I feel like social media just shows the negative part. It's like uh, uh, how I s- how uh, people see Africa. They assume to think that Africa is just a what is it called poor place where people are poor and they have nothing. But that's not the case because. There's a lot of things that accept uh, that exist in Africa that people don't understand that ha- exist. Like there are actually communities, there are actually engineers, there are actually pe- uh, resources that exist there. For example, when you see the like, for example, the World Vision or anything like those kind of organization, you for the last twenty years or so, you see the same. F- uh, videos or pictures that are stating oh, uh, these people need help, these children are ha- suffering, they need help and that, but then when you look at us, you you wonder why is the same thing like for the last 20 or 
video of 12 years, being the same f- people, same photos, same pictures, same videos happening. I mean, hasn't there been anything changed? Shouldn't at least few things has been changed from there and that? Why are they showing the same thing? It wouldn't make sense, right? Because that's not the case. Africa has a lot of resources and a lot of things that other people don't see. Yeah, there may be like a lot of things like corruption happening, but doesn't stop the fact that African people have something unique that every other country has. So I feel like social media only shows the negative. It doesn't show the positive side of any ethnic or religion. In this next section, what buzzes you is an opportunity for you to talk about something that you're passionate about. So Abdi, what are you going to tell us about today? Football or soccer. How did you become interested in this? As a kid, when I was growing up, I was watching a lot of football, seeing people play, which I ended up later on playing and continue playing. So, And did you, did you play um, back in... Yep. Yeah, back home I did play it and here to continue playing. What really excites you about football? Sweats, uh, running, competition... Uh, well, playing at the same time, talking trash to your friends. <laughs> well, not professional, <laughs> but in a social club one. And uh, what type of response do you get from people when you normally talk about football? It depends. If I was to talk to someone who knows nothing about football, it wouldn't be, it was just more of like questions compared to someone who has been playing football or has watched football or watched football. Because we would be talking a lot of things and be talking about teams, clubs, uh, World Cups at the moment. There's a lot of things we'd be talking about and it would take ages. Like sometimes we could be talking trash to each other or about other clubs and teams. So yeah, it's different depends on who you're talking at the moment. What is it that you wish that the world understood more about it? Football does not require language to play. So anyone can understand and anyone can play. It doesn't need a religion, it doesn't need a culture, ethnic, skin color, language. It doesn't require any of that. Anyone can play and it's one of those sports that the whole community can be together, which also means it could be good for the future of the people. And that basically answers my next question around how you see it being able to change the world. And... I just kind of want to acknowledge a little bit of what you've said there about um, how it has a, you know, that it, you don't, it doesn't require language and kind of reflect on what you've spoken about. You're moving here um, and, you know, how important that it sounds that football was in, in your journey when you didn't have as much of a community over here. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes... Because of football, you end up meeting new people and interacting with them. Because you interact through actual playing rather than actual talking to each other. And then because of that, yeah. Yes, I do agree in some sense. And Abdi, you are going to share your favourite song for us right now. So what song is it that you are going to share for us with us today? Uh, that would be Two Back Changes. And what is it that you enjoy so much about the song? The fact that the word self has changed 
So it it's uh, you could say Tupac was talking about a lot of things that he wants to change, uh, but doesn't uh, may not apply to my situation, anyone else's situation. But in some degree, it does because change can be anything, and it's a very powerful tool. No changes. Wake up in the morning and I ask myself, is life worth living? Should I blast myself? I'm tired of being poor and even worse, I'm black. My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch. Cops give a damn about a need, bro. Pull a trigger, killing, he's a heat, bro. Get it to the kids who the hell cares. One less hungry mouth on the welfare. Bird ship them, don't let them deal with brothers. Give them guns, step back, watch them kill each other. It's time to fight back, that's what Huey said. Two shots in the dark, now Huey's dead. I got love for my brothers, but we can never go nowhere unless we share with we gotta stop making changes Learn to see me as a brother instead of two distant strangers And that's how I was supposed to be How can the devil take a brother if he's close to me? Uh, I let it go back to when we played as kids But then change, and that's the way it is Come on, come on That's just the way it is Things will never be the same That's just the way it is Oh yeah Some book that I roughed up way back Coming back after 
That's the way it is. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Kia ora Andre, welcome. Can you please tell us how you identify? Well, so I am a first-generation Filipino migrant young person. And what are your pronouns? Uh, he, him. How old are you? So I am 23 years old. And you're at uni? What year are you? Cool. So I actually just finished university, so I was in my fifth year, and I'll be graduating next month, so I'm very excited for that one. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. What were you studying? So I was studying a Bachelor of Arts in Japanese and a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. Nice. Mm-hmm. So while, you, like, while you're studying uni, mm-hmm. what, was it, what, what kind of stuff did you do outside of uni? Cool. So um, I was working in a supermarket, so just my eighth year working in that supermarket. And I'm also a contracted youth project activator at Shirley Village Project. What kind of stuff do you do for fun? Cool. So for fun, so I enjoy hanging out with friends and, you know, playing the odd occasional video game and stuff. Used to play it more when I was younger, but, you know, people ran out of time. But, you know, something that I also love to do is, like, trying out the new food scenes around Christchurch and seeing, you know, what's good and what's out there and seeing, like, ooh. Fun things. <laughs> What's been the the uh, most kind of like exciting or uh, interesting thing you've tried lately? <sighs> lately, I don't know. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> <laughs> I just totally threw you. Sorry. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, my go to is always you know bacon bros and all that stuff. Always a great go to. Dessert wise, mustache milk's always like high up there. Um, you know, I'm really planning. I'm basically at this point where, like, okay, you're graduating. How do you want to celebrate? Which food, which <laughs> restaurant do you want to go to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, so you you live in Osatahi, Christchurch, but you've identified yourself as a migrant, so you obviously weren't born here. Yes. Where was it that you were born? Yep. So I was born in the Philippines. And is that where your parents were born? Ah uh, yes, yeah, that's where my parents came from as well. Yeah. yeah, and your ancestors, that's like your ancestry? Well, like, yeah, I would say I would assume so, because like with Philippines, you can trace, um, possibly trace back to Spain due to like Spanish colonization, but it's either that or like, you know, the indigenous people of the Philippines, but we don't know this. <laughs> How old were you when you moved to Aotearoa? Cool, so I moved here when I was um, nine years old. So that's, that's pretty young? Yes. Have you had a chance to go back to the Philippines since then? Yep, so I've been back twice. So it was the um, end of 2014, early 2015, and end of 2017 slash early 2018. We love the Christmas holidays there. So, yeah. Is there any, like, and I know this is, like, really difficult to target, but is there any, like main thing that you like would say that you miss the most the food yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah everyone everyone if i talk to every any filipino would be like i love the, I miss the food i'm like yes same here uh obviously we miss family and all that stuff but then you know every time when someone's like i'm oh, gonna go back to philippines open up the, the, your websites and be like food to take back home <laughs> yeah we did have um benedict and ryan previously on another episode and they both said food as well yeah, so. i mean like it's a classic it's a, a classic filipino answer and stuff like that so i'm not surprised at all <laughs> <laughs> so um thinking now more about um your whanau mm-hmm. who is your whanau made up of as in who is it that you grew up with yep so uh, it's me and my older sister and my dad and then 
my mom as well, but she passed away in um, 2013. Oh, my condolences for your mom's death. Uh, you mentioned um, previously to me that this was part of how you learned your resilience, um, how to pivot when something happened and find a new way forward, about how her death forced you to grow up faster. Um, could, would you mind talking a little bit more about that? So when my mother passed away, I was 14 years old. So basically my dad was now like, you know, single parent, you know, single income. We need to figure out how to, you know, keep that income stream going. So when I, w- when I turned 15, so two months after I turned 15, I, became, I started working at New World. And that's why I've been there ever since. So I was just there to help um, the family to, you know, pay the bills and, you know, earn some money just to, you know, stay afloat and stuff like that. And kind of became like a bit of my dad's secretary in terms of like, you know, emails and, um, you know, setting setting new accounts up at times or like, you know, just doing like general business. So did you have Fano around at the time to, to support your, you in that process or your father in that process? What what does your Fano system look like in Aotearoa? I guess like you know we do have some family friends and stuff, but I guess you know we like sometimes keep things personally to ourselves. And I guess like, I just grew up with like you know just dealing with it. And you know like in terms of support, it was like I wasn't really actively seeking it because I felt personally that you know I I'm able to just go ahead with it and you know. Roll with the punches, you know, if anything happens, like, it'll be fine. Because I guess I have, like, some kind of optimistic view all the time where I'm just like, oh, something bad happened to me, whatever, let's just deal with it and see what happens. <laughs> mm. But, yeah, in terms of, like, support, I think, like, you know, I didn't, I would say, like, you know, I didn't really need it per se, but, you know, but, you know, we got through and here we are now. Mm-hmm. I guess that speaks to your resilience um, in those moments. Yeah. Any other f- further whānau around Aotearoa? Not really. Like, you know, in terms of, like, the family, that's really it. It's just, like, my immediate family and then my uncle. Everyone else is, like, back to the Philippines or straight up around the world. Mm-hmm. What was your experience like having moved here at a young age and soaking in Kiwi culture and then trying to relate to your whānau? I guess, like, I haven't had really actually any problems with that one. You know, um... Maybe, like, you know, slight disagreements about, you know, like, have to go into uni for a good job, even though I was like, I'm not going to go into uni anyway. Thinking now to your school experience, you know, being able to roll with the punches, it sounds yeah. like that was definitely something that you needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you what, what, age nine, Yes. you say? Yeah. So age nine, you moved to Aotearoa. You would have already been in schooling in the Philippines. Yeah. And then you moved to New Zealand primary school. What was that like? I guess, like, that's the one of the main challenges for me. It was, like, you know, I kind of found it ho- uh, hard in a way just because of how the um, education system was different back in the Philippines to compared to here. You know, when I first came in, like, the, one of the toughest things is just, like, how just everything is structured, how the class is structured, like, you know, being, like, in a desk and group of people, people you don't know and people who, like, look different than you. That new environment was really present at school compared to, like, you know, just being around outside of school and community. So that's where I actually just found that culture shock was that was school. Despite, um, other than the the culture shock that you directly, like that you experienced, how do you feel that being Filipino, if being a Filipino migrant affected your experience of, of, prime, of school? 
I guess like one way I like would answer that is that is around looking at like the transitioning of within like like grade levels within like subjects at school. So one of the things I like I noticed back in high in primary school was that you know there wasn't really any transitioning test to figure out you know where do you where do you stand in terms of like you know the the spread of the students you know when there because there was no baseline and sometimes I was already put in like in a lower level classes which for some um, subjects it was lower lower than than what I've already learned like such as math and stuff like for example there was one time I was just we were doing math st- we were doing some math um, work and then. Because I was in a year five, year six class, um, the teachers working with some of the year six, the year sixes, and talking about fractions and all that stuff. And I'm like, in my head, it's like, I already learned that in the Philippines like a year or two ago. <laughs> I was like, this is like, this is surprising. <laughs> so just like being, I think, not being able to be given the chance to, you know, see where you actually sit or like where you actually exceed was the was like was a hard thing at the very start. Yeah. But- with my youth worker hat on, mm-hmm. um, that immediately seems like a risk factor to me. If a young person's in school and they are not being challenged and not having the opportunity to actually mm. uh, participate at a level that they know that they can do, that's a reason to disengage. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would say like I kind of did feel disengaged in that first year of school. That's when that that was that really I really treated it as like a transition period of trying to figure out and. Of you know how does New Zealand schooling system works? Because I know by year six, I was like, okay, this is what the teacher expects. This is where they expect me. How do I, you know, use that to my advantage now and make sure that I'm always at that high level? <laughs> but you had that. Yeah. You had that ability to roll with the punches, right? Yeah. And not all children have that. Yes. Um, yeah. So, what changes do you feel need to happen in schools so that people from your community will have a better time in the future? I guess is that the first thing that comes to my mind is that, you know, recognize like that migrant identity and, you know, that we just because we're migrants as well, we're not just, you know, having already a lower baseline. But when when I go back to to saying um, recognition about our identity experiences, we know that some of us migrants um, experience the same hardships that other communities are struggling with. So we know that, you know, there are support services or target um, programs that are being successful for or are the process that are working so far for Maori and Pacifica students. And I believe personally that, you know, we have these cultural frameworks, as I said, and that if we tweak it a bit in terms of that cultural um, factor into other migrant community communities, we can actually target, you know, be tailored to the migrant to the migrant communities because we have that intersectionality of experiences of being in a minority group or, you know, being treated differently just because of, you know, of our ethnicity or of our race. Mm, And I know that one of the things uh, that you and I have talked about around that is Mm. that um, you, like like you've identified to me that being uh, Filipino, everyone immediately goes, uh, assumes Asian, therefore that's a rich culture. You don't need much support, mm. but as it being, um, it's more often something similar to a Pacifica culture that needs mm. some more more support. But because those intersections aren't understood, there isn't no support 
yeah. uh, frameworks in place. Exactly. Like, you know, like you've heard like in the past couple of years, you know, during, especially during COVID, you've heard of, you know, Māori Pacifica students having to drop out of high school to work a job or like two jobs or full time to support the families because of that, I don't know, loss of income because of that reduced wage and because people can't go to work. But then if you think about, again, back to my experiences, I've been doing that since I was 15 years old and who was and, you know, who was there to really recognize that like, oh, yeah, that's kind of like the same experiences that some of the uh, of some of those groups are actually experiencing. And, you know, I think reflecting on it now, why should I be just rolling with the punches instead of actual of, you know, of having some support systems there in place for, you know, other young people who are experiencing that same difficulty of having to you know, work, but because we're migrant or because of we're not we're not Pacific or we're not Maori, we're just basically thrown under a drug. In mm-hmm. my like that, and you know that's what I just personally like see it as. Mm. And I, I think you're very, very right there that um, you you shouldn't have to roll with the punches mm. uh, just because you're a, a migrant, um, and. Just want to very quickly reflect on something else mm. you said to me that that you that you're not saying that these programs shouldn't be here for Maori or Pacific mm-hmm. students, but you just feel that they should be tailored to other yeah. minority, like extended it. Yeah. yeah, like I see some of like some easy, like some programs they could easily extend it. Like you know, tutoring services. Um, you know, we have we have tutoring services. Let's say like for Pacific students, like run by Pacifica, um, you know, students for Pacifica students. What's how is it going to change if it's like run by, let's say, a Filipino students for Filipino students? The only thing that changes is the people and stuff. But, you know, the funding's not there or that recognition within the education system right now isn't there at the moment is, you know, really mm-hmm. how I'm seeing it. Especially in high school, like, you know, outreach programs. It's like, cool, Maori, the Maori Pacific kids come here. Everyone else is there. And I think that's the thing that, you know, that irks me is that as a migrant, as a you know migrant young person, I kind of have to compete against some of like the majority group. You know, in terms of, like if you think about it with scholarships, you know, there's like no specific scholarship for migrants or stuff like that. And you know, in a way, it's like you know it's okay. But if you put it into the lens of if Maori and Pacific are having you know the same issues as us, and they have some looked um, some services that you know offer them pathways to tertiary education while us as migrants have to compete with, like, you know, the same scholarships as people who have done, you know, people have done more things because they're in the majority group. Like, how do you give that, how do you, you know, feel confident in getting those scholarships and other opportunities when you have to compete with people who have, you know, privilege in their lives compared to people who have, you know, really shown hard work? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I guess I guess um, it, it, yeah, it, it's privileged comparatively. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and we, yeah, we um, recognise that um, they're definitely not privileged comparative to yeah. uh, Pakeha mm. um, in Aotearoa. Um, it, but but really, what you're saying is that you would just love that your community also had um, such opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on to some some other reflection towards your own personal experience of your culture, mm-hmm. you identified yourself as first generation Filipino migrant young person. 
How do you feel the wider community perceives your community or reacts your personal representation of yourself? I think for me, it's like I feel like the wider community is like sees me as only Filipino. But, you know, I came here as a young as a young person with, with my personal culture as um but you know melding it into the Filipino Kiwi culture. So I think it's hard for me to just be like, oh, when people say, Oh, you're Filipino and then just assume you're just Filipino. But it's really that for me I identify myself more as that mixture, that, you know, Filipino New Zealander identity. Since because again, moving back to such a young age, I can still connect to my Filipino roots, but not as much as some of the people who've migrated here like later in their lives. Like, I don't understand <laughs> Filipino pop culture anymore, like like or like the the social you know, the social customs or like of within young people in Filipino culture. Like, I just couldn't like connect with that one. So I connect more with like in terms of like Kiwi culture in terms of in that sense, but with Kiwi culture I don't look, you know, New Zealander because I wasn't. <laughs> if you look at me like that, because I was, you know, hundred like by blood Filipino and moved here at a young age, so you know I can't completely connect with Kiwi culture. So for me, it's that melding of two worlds that is where I sit instead of like being from one world being shoved into a different world. Do you mind talking about how you feel that this impacted your own sense of identity? Yeah. So when I was younger at school, I said to a lot of friends that, you know, I hated being Filipino and like I loved being whitewashed. But, you know, later years in life, like recently right now at university, is that, you know, I've had to learn about that, you know, why I wasn't, why I was thinking, having this mindset. Why was I saying that I hated being Filipino? Because I guess, like, you know, in later years at school, there was a lot of Filipino students that migrated because of um, the the Christchurch earthquakes and their parents were working with the rebuilds. And because of that, I wasn't really able to connect with them because they arrived at such an older age. You know, I moved here again at nine years old compared to them moving here at, like, sometimes, like, 14, 15, and later even, like, 17, 18 years old. So, you know, they have more of a Filipino roots, and I just couldn't... No, connect with them, and I guess like like for me, I wasn't that really connected with the Filipino community in in, in Christ here in Christchurch. So that's another aspect of like you know not being in you know in tune of my Filipino culture. But you know I was happy where I wa- where I was. But you know me be- me saying it at that time around high school was just like. Why was I saying it like that? Why was I saying I hated being Filipino? But it was really just because I couldn't connect with them and that I had that, again, Filipino New Zealand identity. Awesome. Thank you so much for for giving us that insight. This next section, What Buzzes You, is an opportunity for you to talk about something that you're passionate about. So, Andre, what are you going to tell us about today? Cool. I guess if if you're talking to me and it's about what I'm passionate about, it's going to be community (laughs) development. (laughs) Okay, awesome. How did you become interested in this? Cool. So in um in high school, I just did a lot of volunteering, like with like some of the clubs there and like some some of the activities. And it just didn't even die. It was like, oh, I love volunteering, love meeting people, and just like let's keep going with it. 
And, you know, during this time, I was able to appreciate, you know, my two cultures as well, like, you know, New Zealand and Filipino. And, and it's really just developed my interest in community development, you know, just meeting people around the community and seeing, you know, why, where they're at and, you know, learning stories from them. What about this really excites you? I guess it's that, again, like, you know, coming back to meeting everyone from working in the community. It could be someone young, it could be someone old. You know, they all have a story to tell. And it, and for me, it's just, you know, hearing those stories. Like, what do they want to share? Like, what's unique about them? And finding ways to connect, you know, where are we having that same, you know, that same experience? And once you find that small spark or that little string that connects the both of you, like the conversation just flows and just I love it so much. What type of response do you uh, do you normally get from people when you try to talk about this? I guess from like the from the ordinary person who's not in this in the sphere of community development or like volunteering, everyone's just like, "Oh, that's different," you know. They become surprised, <laughs> intrigued, or what do you do exactly? Sometimes you get the you get the odd like, "Ah." Oh. Okay, that's good. Or it's like, you know, sometimes when I'm too close to friends, it's like, why do you keep doing this? I'm like, why not? <laughs> what is it that you wish the world, um, or maybe those people who go, oh, well, pff, why do you still do this, yeah. um, understood more about it? I guess, you know, that it's not boring or it's not useless. You know, th- sometimes people my age think volunteering is boring, but, you know, it can really be a catalyst for something that benefits the community or even them. It's, I guess, you know, sometimes when you think volunteering, you just do, like, you know, the weird odd stuff each week or something like that, and it doesn't take you anywhere. But if you'd, like, dive deep into community development and, you know, trying to do, like, changes within the community and empowering residents, you actually see that there are some things that, you know, come out that are really great and, you know, really hopeful for the future. Mm. And... um do you want to tell us about one of the projects that you're working on or what, any community development you've been doing? Oh, yeah. So, you know, with my role at uh, Shirley Village Project as a community youth activator, one of the things I've been doing is to, you know, amplify youth voice in the Shirley community. So over the past year or two, I've been, um, I've conducted like youth audits of spaces around um, places in Shirley and to evaluate how youth friendly they are and grab recommendations from young people there to see how they you know how how they want to improve you know the spaces and it's been working really well like working with the community with their yeah the community partners who own the spaces and see how we can implement some of those recommendations and you know I haven't had like a negative feedback from from anyone around the youth audit, they, they see the value in it and, you know, they want to really implement those changes. And this is it when I say, like, you know, you can change something that benefits the community or even them, that if you actually try it and really see and delve into it, you can, you know, change some stuff that actually benefits everyone. Awesome. That kind of answers the next question, but mm. I want to give you space to add anything else. <laughs> um, how do you see this kind of stuff or just community development in general being able to change the future in the world? I guess for me, my passion lies within like that, you know, support for migrant communities, especially the young people. So I would see it as, you know, being able to work with other communities. Because at the moment, some of how I see it is that some of the young, some of the migrant communities tend to, you know, stick together and form pockets within themselves. And even within that, um, young people sometimes don't have a voice just to, you know, step in to step into like leadership roles or like see, or get their ideas 
out and about. And I see like community develop, development as a stepping stone to, you know, to merge those those communities with the wider community and see where they can collaborate, see where they can um, see where they can make changes for everyone and, you know, help young people feel welcome and part of their community and where migrant young people feel safe and feel like their voices can be heard in terms of their cultural experience of, you know, mixing those two cultures and that ident- that unique identity that they carry now from moving here. Um, all right, Andre. So we're going to get you to introduce your favorite song. Can you tell us? Can you tell us, please? What is your favorite song right now? Okay, my favorite song right now. Okay, I guess like I'm a I'm a bit of a Swifty, and okay. I I enjoy you know like kind of her early days. So my favorite albums like from like Speak Now, and my favorite song there's like is mine. For me, is like my number one number one tracks of her album. <laughs> There's a part of me that enjoys country music for some reason. And just like, you know, that I prefer listening to the, like the original version because I got that got that country twang into it. But also like when I tell people about that song, it's like that bridge. And when I talk to my fellow Swifties at work, they're like, when we talk about mine, it's like that bridge. We enjoy that bridge. College working part time, waiting tables. Left a small town, never looked back. I was a flight risk with a fear of falling, wondering why we bother with love if it never lasts. I say, can you believe it? As we're lying on the couch, the moment I could see. Taking on the world together And there's a drawer of my things at your place You learn my secrets and you figure out why I'm guarded You say we'll never make my parents' mistakes
That is us for today. Namihi nui. Thank you to Andre and Abdi for sharing their stories with us. If anything we talked about sparked your interest, head over to Leadership Lab website at leadershiplab.co.nz. If you want to hear more people of Puawai, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and find us on Instagram at puawai underscore youth. Matewa.